Welcome everybody to the Monthly Movie Dispatch, the show where we're four high school friends, we get together once a month and we talk about our favorite movie that came out that month. This is the really exciting time of year, it's our November episode, Oscar season is picking up, all the art movies are coming out, it's just a really exciting time. So each of us has picked our favorite movie that has come out in the last month and we're going to be basically selling it to each other and discussing it and talking about what we loved about it and uh, we've got some disagreements coming up but... Basically, just really exciting time for movies. So uh, I just want to jump right in. Uh, we've got Sean Bowlby in Seattle, Washington. Hello. We've got Brandon Bowlby in New York City. How's it going? And Derek Deal in Everett. Yo. Yo, guys. Um, I know I usually do warm-up questions for each of you guys singularly because, you know, warm-ups are good. We like warming up. I don't know about mm -hmm. you, but I think warming mm -hmm. up is good. And But this time, I felt like we should just do them as a group. You know, uh, I've got four questions here, each one sort of relating to the month of November. So, um, mm -hmm. and uh, I think it might be more fun if we just all jumped right in with our answers. So, um, first of all, um, one movie that we're not going to review is Ford versus Ferrari. But I think some of us saw it. But... Um, Best James Mangold film, Walk the Line or Logan? Oh, Logan for me. <laughs> Logan? No comparison, yeah. It's been I way too long since so I've seen Walk the Line. I haven't seen Walk the Line. Oh. Ever. Logan. That's good. Ever. Oh. Wow. I, it's not Ford vs. Ferrari. That's all. It's <laughs> not Ford vs. Ferrari. Ford vs. Ferrari is no. pretty good, but I'd go with Walk the That's Line personally. Over Logan? Um, mm. I, I mean, they're close. They're close. I'd probably have mm. to re The thing about Walk the Line Oof. is the Dewey Cox movie, uh, Hurt Walk the Line. Like walk it was hard. Yeah, Walk Hard was <laughs> such a good parody that it hurt Walk the Line, but I don't yeah. know if that really hurts the movie. If it's so good and then there's parody, that's perfect. Right. But still, um, I don't know. Um, Brandon, uh, you answer Walk the Line or Logan? Logan. Okay. Okay. Logan's oh, wait, like... walk the line. Yeah. Or Logan. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I thought it was walk hard or Logan. Oh yeah, no. James <laughs> Mangold in direct. The line. Okay. And definitely Logan. Okay. Okay. Cool. Well, you guys, <laughs> I'll say Logan's his best movie, and I think it's yeah. pretty close. Okay. So the Irishman question: Al Pacino mm. or Robert De Niro? Not based on the Irishman, but their whole career. Uh. I go uh, with Robert De Niro only because yeah. I think I need to see more Al Pacino movies. I've really only seen like Heat and Godfather films. I can't think of much else that I've seen with him in it. But okay. that's just my own problem. Yeah, same with me. I haven't seen nearly as many Pacino movies as I have Robert De Niro. So I got to go Robert De Niro. Yeah, I'll agree with that for the same reason, just off of not knowing any better. He seems to have a more varied career as well. Like his his best movies, play, going from like boxing movie to, you know, um, war films and uh, yeah, he's kind of yeah. more all over the place. I feel like I just I want to I just feel like you guys are missing some of Al Pacino's big seventies movies. Like yeah, yeah um, I definitely am. Sure. <clears throat> like Midnight Serpico. Cowboy and uh, he's not yeah, in Midnight Cowboy. Serpico. Well, what? <laughs> That's, That's Dustin the, Hoffman. Yeah, Dustin Hoffman. Oh, yeah. Well, they look the same. So. Well, basically <laughs> the same person. I was thinking in like Serpico and um, yeah. Dog Day Afternoon. Dog Day Afternoon, yeah. yeah. But, um, Angels okay. in America, miniseries. 
I haven't scent even of, seen scent Scarface. Of a woman. Um, okay, so yeah. Bong Joon Ho, Snowpiercer mm. or Oakja? Oh, Oakja. Fuck. Oh, I love Oakja so much. Oakja. Yeah. Was that your answer, Brandon? Oakja. <laughs> Snowpiercer <laughs> is my answer. Snowpiercer. All right. I'd probably well, go Snowpiercer too. I only saw Snowpiercer, and I didn't see Oakjaw because oh it gosh. didn't look interesting to me oh at all. Oh, my God. Oh, now you'll go back. Yeah, sure. boo. So, oh, you're in yeah. for Snowpiercer was in my top ten. Get in the corner, Sean. <laughs> Just kidding. You don't need to get in the corner. Um, okay, the right. uh, last question, the Taika Waititi question. What would we do in the shadows or hunt for wilder people? What would we do in the shadows? Hunt for the wilder people. I haven't seen Hunt for Wilder People, so I gotta say what we did in the shadows. Okay. I go Thor 100%. Ragnarok. <laughs> yeah, Derek's like, Thor Ragnarok. Um, <laughs> Hunt for Wilder People for me, too. Okay, so that was our warm up. Thanks for playing, guys. Um, I just wanna just lay out I the. Look how relevant report. those were, Nick. That was yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm going to try to, I think I'm going to try to make it more relevant, you know, and um, I think the group dynamic is a little more fun for this game. I think it's a fun yeah. game for us to play, the the either or game, but um, I think we should do it as a group. So from now on, sweeping declaration, we're doing it as a group. Sounds good. Cool. All so right. I just want to lay out the episode really quick. Um, we're going to do uh, the first things first. Sean is going to go over a movie project he's been working on. And then we're going to do, we have three featured reviews. We're going to um, talk about uh, the new Taika TT movie, Jojo Rabbit. We're going to talk about the new Martin Scorsese movie, The Irishman, which is going to be on Netflix. And we're going to talk about the new Bong Joon-ho film, Parasite. And we're going to do a spoiler review of Parasite um, about halfway through. We'll give you plenty of spoiler warning. but So that'll be the last review we talk about. And... Um, it will have spoilers at the end. So, Sean, you have been in the middle of a movie project for um, a while. Um, yeah. Do you want to tell us? Uh, and you just finished it. You're all done yeah. with your project. So, uh, just like I did the horror movie month last month and broke it down for you guys, Sean is going to break down his his most recent movie project. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I watched a bunch of Westerns in the last year or so, um, over the last year or so, and uh, I typically do it, um, so this is my first genre kind of anthology, or uh, I don't know exactly what you would call it, but yeah, that um, works. Uh, I typically do uh, it by director or filmmaker, so I've done... You know, I go through every Martin Scorsese movie, every Kurosawa movie, every uh, um, Alfred Hitchcock movie. Uh, sometimes it's abridged. Sometimes it's it's every everything they've done. Um, and I always do it in chronological order. So I always watch those movies from so I get a, a, a good sense of um, their careers or the, the development of the genre uh, as a whole. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun uh, because you get to see how the the genre develops and how it's changed over the years and how uh, um, you, you get to see it kind of um, not real time, but you get to see it progressively change, um, which is pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> so, 
uh, I started uh, in with the first uh, Western potentially ever made, uh, and then I, I went all the way through to the the Sisters Brothers that came out last year. Um, so I guess I was just gonna go over my list and and talk about. Um, I was gonna. I thought it'd be fun to give you kind of an overview of how the genre has changed. So I'll I'll list off all of the movies that I watched in order, and I'll kind of break it down um, by decade um, <clears throat> or or kind of period, and so you guys can kind of hear how it's changed. Um, how many in total did you do? Uh, I only watched thirty movies. Um, only. Only yeah, thirty. Movies. Well, I mean, thirty <laughs> movies compared to the thirty movies that Nick watched just in, in, for horror movie month. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we have a different. Uh, I, we have a different. Them. Yeah, we have a different viewing style. We. I don't know mm-hmm. if we talked about this on camera or off camera last month, but mm-hmm. like, I feel like you are more deliberate and like, like precise with the movies that you watch. Um, whereas, mm-hmm. like, I will just watch any sort of crap in any sort of circumstance. And You'll just turn of... on Hannibal Holocaust at 3 a.m. on your iPad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I'll and like I'll watch movies in pieces mm-hmm. sometimes, just because that's my life. And you know, I'll watch bad movies just because I'm a completist. Um, but like, I feel like you're you're very like you're the kind of person that if you don't have three hours to sit down and watch a three hour long movie with the lights turned all the way down and you're focused 100 mm-hmm. percent on it you're not going to watch it. Am I wrong? Yep. Yeah. You are correct. Um, so. Unless it's a movie that I've seen before or, you know, if I don't have uh, is enough time to finish the movie, I'll typically watch something else like a TV show or, or something. Totally. Um, but yeah, um, why don't we jump into it? Um, jump in. So the first movie I watched was The Great Train Robbery. Uh, came out in 1903. Uh, and this is widely regarded as not only the first Western narrative ever made, it's also considered the, the first, first narrative, first narrative film ever made. Um, oh. It is only 15 minutes long or so, um, and you can pretty easily Google um, the movie and just watch it. It's on like in archives and, um, you know, it's pretty easy to watch. It might even be on Netflix right now. Um, watch it tonight. It's kind of in the public domain, but um, yeah, it's like the first movie to do like to invent shot reverse shot, and it's the first movie to uh, to shoot an insert or a close up of of something, and it's the first movie to cut between two scenes that are happening simultaneously, um, and so there's a lot of you know pioneering um, techniques that this movie invented. Um, it's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, so that then um, in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, the, the that was kind of the the golden age of the Western, um, and there was a lot of the the classic Western hero, the classic Western, you know, good versus good guy versus bad guy, um, fairly simple stories, and and your manly man, and uh, uh, you know, in the old frontier. Um, and so I watched movies like Stagecoach, which was the first, which was the the movie that really launched John Ford and uh, and John Wayne into stardom. Um, and it's kind of said that in in a single shot, um, John Wayne was was made a superstar in that movie. Dude, that shot is for real. 
yeah, it's it's a memorable shot for <laughs> yeah. sure. And it's yeah. Um, but yeah, then I watched Red River, which came out in in the 40s. Um, and then Winchester 73, which came out in 1950. Uh, Winchester 73, which was a Jimmy Stewart uh, movie. It's pretty cool. It's um, also w- one that stood out uh, of these early movies. <clears throat> but then we get into the 50s, which in the 50s is when um, the Western genre kind of started to expand and start telling more interesting and complex stories and with more interesting heroes and more interesting villains and um, uh, really started to explore the Western genre and what it can do um, with movies like High Noon and Shane and The Searchers and Rio Bravo. Um, and I actually really recommend watching uh, High Noon and Rio Bravo together um, if you ever get the chance because uh, Rio Bravo is uh, Howard Hawk's film where he saw High Noon and he thought High Noon was a very anti-capitalist, anti-Western movie. Um, and so he decided to essentially remake the movie as a pro-America, pro-capitalist, uh, with a pro-capitalist message. Um, and so he made Rio Bravo. Um, but yeah, those two movies uh, hmm. are, are really interesting. Is um, Rio Bravo and High Noon, you said? Yeah, Rio Bravo and High Noon. Huh. And Shane's uh, that movie from the movie Logan, right? Totally. What's that? Oh. Uh, Shane, Shane is <laughs> oh, in yeah, the movie Shane, Logan. Shane is the movie. Yeah, yes. correct. And yeah, we were just talking about Logan. Wow, pull it yeah. all back. Pull it back. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, and then, uh, in the sixties, the, the Western genre really started to, uh, take a, take a turn where it's, um, it kind of developed what, what's called the revisionist Western, um, which really started showing the ugly side of the, of the old West and started exploring the anti-hero and the violence and, um, and really turning the the genre on its head. Uh, And you can right off the bat see the influence of Akira Kurosawa uh, on the Western genre. In 1960, The Magnificent Seven came out, which was an adaptation of of Seven Samurai. Um, And then The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, uh, and then the Dollars Trilogy, with, uh, with a fistful of dollars for a few dollars more and the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, Fistful of Dollars also being a Kurosawa adaptation, um, Western adaptation of Yojimbo. Um, And then Once Upon a Time in the West. um, And then in 1969 is probably the best year in for the Western genre uh, with three incredible movies coming out. True Grit, The Wild Bunch and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Um, The 70s really started going off on the what's called the anti-western um where it kind of takes the feeling and the general setting and time period but really flips the tropes on its head with um mccabe and miss miller which is a a movie a western set in washington state up in the mountains um so it, it goes for the the snow and mountains rather than the um desert um desert landscapes um pat garrett and billy the kid and the outlaw josie wales were the other 70s movies um i skipped over the 80s um i it didn't really seem like there were too many good westerns that came out in the 80s but in the Not 90s a lot going on 
Yeah, apparently the the ninety early nineties, uh, it kind of came back and really reexamined the Western genre and to kind of see what the genre is all about. Um, I, I is kind of how I see it as um, Dances with Wolves, Unforgiven, and Tombstone came out that um, in the early early nineties. Um, <clears throat> Uh, the Assassination of Jesse, Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford came out in the 2000s, the aughts. It's the only one from the aughts that I saw. Um, and then the, the teens were actually a really incredible decade. I was kind of surprised um, at how many good westerns came out. Um, True Grit in 2010, Django Unchained, Bone Tomahawk, The Revenant, Hostels, and The, Brothers, or the Sisters Brothers. Um, and that concludes my list, aside from um, some random movie called Meek's Crossing that Brandon won't stop going on about. <laughs> no, no, uh, True West. Oh, True West? Slow West. Said- Slow West. Slow West. Oh, okay. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> I feel like you've watched Crossing. Don't let me uh, derail you. But yeah, so that's that's my list. Um so you guys have already seen it, but I'll just, for the audience, I'll go over my top 10. Um, at number 10, I have Django Unchained, the Tarantino movie. Um, yeah. At number nine, I have The Outlaw Josie Wales. Eight, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Seven, Dances with Wolves. Six, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Five, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh, four, for a few dollars more, the second movie in the Dollars Trilogy. Um, three, The Revenant. Two, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, the third in the Dollars Trilogy. And then at number one, The uh, uh, Unforgiven, uh, the reexamination of the Western genre. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's it. <clears throat> Far out. Um, dude. Color me impressed. Love it, man. Uh, yeah. Dude, I love how That's you broke that. Project. I love how you broke that down by the decades. I love how all the decades have like little sub names, you know, like, uh-huh. man, yeah. anti-Westerns. I just want to like, hmm. I just want to read more about that. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> like that just sounds great. I wonder. Yeah, that's, that's what's so fun about it. I can't help but wonder what was going on in the 80s. I mean, there's a lot of things going on in the 80s, but uh-huh. like just for whatever reason, it was like, ah, oh, no, we don't like Westerns in the 80s right now. But yeah, like I'm watching film noirs right now and there was like a big rebirth of neo-noir in the 80s, which is like kind of opposite of like Westerns. But anyway, we don't need to talk about that. I want to, Sean, real quick, uh, I, I watched Unforgiven with you and mm-hmm. um, I was really excited about it because I saw it in high school but I hadn't seen it since then and everything that I heard and remembered about it like I didn't really rem- I got this whole list of movies I saw in high school that I needed to rewatch and um, that was that was like one of the top ones because like I feel I, I remember thinking if this is as good as I remember it being it will undoubtedly be my favorite western and then we watched it, and I was just floored, and it lived up to all my expectations, and it is my favorite Western. I just love how Clint Eastwood, like, he came back, and it was like he was playing one of his old characters. Like, it could have been a, a story, a, it could have been a sequel from one of his old characters, but, like, you know, old and retired and not skilled anymore, and he's just trying to be peaceful, but he gets, you know... Pulled back in for another mission. Um, you know, Unforgiven couldn't have been as good 
without um, without the previous without all the history of westerns. Mm-hmm. Um, like, um, so Unforgiven's your favorite. That aside, yeah. that aside, do you have like a favorite time period? You know, <clears throat> um, I mean, almost for sheer volume, um, it's got to be this the sixties. It's just, you know, of all the decades that I watched, it was only typically like three or five um, movies that came out in each decade. But that that decade had uh, 10 movies. All of them were amazingly good. Uh, You know, you have the Dollars Trilogy and you have 1969, which is probably the best Western year ever. And um, yeah, uh, as well as some other incredible movies. Um, so yeah, got to go with the '60s. But I will say I was pretty surprised with the the two the the teens, 2000 teens. Well, it um, sounds like sounds like maybe something similar was going on with the teens as the '60s, maybe because in yeah. the '60s it was kind of like a, a what do you call it, like revisionist westerns. Yeah. Like I, I kind of think that that's how most recent Westerns are too. Like they're, they're very aware of what they are. They're aware of the mm-hmm. whole genre and they, a lot of the more recent ones that I've seen are kind of playing off the history as well. So, um, yeah, definitely. It's almost like a revision of the revision or something, mm-hmm. but hell yeah. All right. I got two questions, Sean. Uh, first one's quick. Uh, so one or the other, Emmanuel Lebeski's in The Revenant or Roger Deakins and the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford? I love how uh, you have to say the whole title. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. What's I, more that's beautiful? That's actually been a conversation we've had before, just in general, like based on their careers. And I think what those I always singular tend movies. To yeah. So for I, for I those who don't know, say, real quick, for those who don't know, the, that's the cinematographer for both those movies. Yes. The both yeah. of them are legendary cinematographers, and both of those are absolutely gorgeous mm-hmm. movies. Um. Yeah. I feel like. Um. I, I, I guess I'll head. give you this, this similar answer to uh, to what I typically give um, to those careers. I would say Roger Deakins is like. If you're studying cinematography, study Roger Deakins. He is a classic um, cinematographer that is um, on another level of um, of kind of. I guess I, I'm not sure what I'm trying to say. Um, he's oh, like on another level that. of like classic cinematography, um, whereas Emmanuel Lubezki is really exploring new. Um, ways to shoot movies, I guess. Like he's um, he's doing completely new things that have never been done before. Um, yeah. Whereas Roger Deakins is perfect. Like he's he's almost a perfect cinematographer. Yeah, but, I um, get that. I guess like right now, I would probably find um, the Revenant more interesting. So okay, yeah, I do have a, uh, my main question though. So you gave yeah. almost all these movies above four stars because mm-hmm. you don't see movies below three. However, there's one that slipped by you in a uh-huh. pretty big time period. Uh, I think it's Tombstone. Not yep. only did you give it below four stars on like any of the other 30 films, but you gave it two. Uh-huh. So why was this on your list? Probably because critics liked it at the time, um, um, but you didn't. So why is that? Honestly, so the way I do my lists is I do, I just look at 
top 10 lists that are online. And I say, if, if this movie has made a top 10 list, it gets one point. And so then I just tally up like based on, you know, 20, 30 different top 10 lists online, what movies tended to, to end up on the top 10 the most. Why is this it loved so much? Didn't This movie didn't make hardly any top 10s. It maybe made one or two, but it this movie I shouldn't have watched based on that criteria. Oh, okay. Um, it's a movie that if you um, talk to anyone about, westerns who doesn't really watch movies they'll uh, more often than not say that this is their favorite western people love uh, tombstone people yeah people love tombstone and it's don't like get the me eagles wrong. of westerns yeah. <laughs> don't get me wrong val kilmer is amazing and um his his uh the acting the character the relationship even that he has with um the the main character uh is really good. Everything else about the movie is very bland and um, ridiculous and frankly bad. Uh, Dude, Kurt Russell though, Kurt Russell is he's not he's not bad in anything. It, well, it, he's not bad. Kurt Russell is not bad. His character is very uninteresting. And also, I will admit that this is coming off of watching my favorite western uh, that I that I've seen. Um, I, the movie that came out that I saw before this was Unforgiven. And frankly, I was a little, I was excited for kind of an easy, easy viewing, uh, of a Western. Like so many Westerns are so such downers and, um, super violent. And, um, but I was kind of excited for a light, fluffy Western movie that would just, just going to be fun to watch. And for me, it just, it didn't didn't work it was um it failed on virtually everything it was trying to do in my opinion so yeah that's kind of how it slipped by i just i just threw it on there um last minute just because i was i was curious about it um it's like the it's like a popcorn movie i don't know i feel like you got i I, i've actually never seen it so i don't know what i'm talking about but from what i've heard it seems like Mm -hmm. it'd be like yeah lighter easier yeah you know eat popcorn and but yep. the one thing I always hear is people bring up Val Kilmer. Uh, yeah, I know you mentioned that he's great. Um, so now that you've gone through all those, I know I haven't seen very many westerns. Like I've seen most of those 2010 ones that you put on there, except for The Revenant, I think. Mm. Um, but um, so what I know about westerns is Clint Eastwood and John Wayne. Um, who do you think is the bigger Western superstar or who do you like oh. more in your, from these? Movies um, the, your first question is almost, almost a more interesting one. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're different questions. I really because, have to think about that. Oh, who's the bigger? Yeah. Superstar? Who's the bigger Western star? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I'm not sure. Um, Forgiven was your number I, one. Yeah. Who do I like better? I mean, just based um, off I, your list looks like Clint Eastwood. Yeah, I got to go Clint Eastwood. Yeah, yeah, they just tended to score higher. Um, But also, uh, like, someone who's been watching Westerns their whole life, like, I mean, you just watch 30 over the course of a year and watch 30 Mm -hmm. of the best ones. Like, someone who might have grown up on Westerns, like, on the AMC old movie channel or whatever, like, watching them with their grandfather, 
Like mm-hmm. someone might say John Wayne, right? Like he's yeah. probably been in more westerns than Clint Eastwood. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, Sean, that's when we walk downstairs at eight a.m. and Dad's already like into his second western of the morning. Mm-hmm. Like what? <laughs> what decade? What yeah. is he watching? John Wayne. Uh, okay. Yeah, definitely. So he goes um, back. The Golden like Age. for example. Stagecoach came out in 1939, and I kind of, preparing for this episode, I looked back at John John Wayne's career, and he probably did like 20 westerns before Stagecoach, which Stagecoach is the the movie that launched his him into stardom, and he did like 20 movies before that. <laughs> oh damn! Right. So he's very prolific. He's done. Studios churned out movies before. back then, though, right. as well. Yeah. So Absolutely. it was a little bit different time. Yeah. But Absolutely. Still. Yeah. Nice. Totally um, different. Yeah. Time love, love John Wayne. Um, he has some really good movies. He, he's really good in a lot of movies as well. Um, yeah. Well, Sean, that's awesome. I'm really happy for you. Like, I love that you did this and I love that you wrapped it up with us. Like it's, it's like, I don't know. I love these sort of film projects. So good job, man. Congratulations on finishing it. Yeah. Do you have yeah. Do you have something you're doing next? Do you have another like year long film project that you're ready to jump into or are well, you kind of yeah, laying low for is, a bit? Next is gonna be Tarkovsky, uh, which Brandon I think already did like last year or something. Yeah. Um, he doesn't have that many movies. But right now I, I realized I have like thirty movies that have been on my Netflix queue for a decade. <laughs> and so I think I'm going to hit some of those. I just got to Tootsie and I'm going to do the West Side Story and um, uh, um, oh shoot. What's the Civil War one? Glory. Uh, Gone with the Wind. And yeah, so classics. I'm going to do That's some of those project. classics that have just been on my list for a while. But I'm, then, yeah, Tarkovsky is my next uh, project. Cool. I'm just curious because you're the only person I know that still gets Netflix DVDs. Uh-huh. Is that your primary like uh, mode of watching these? That's my like, yeah. That's you usually my just load up a queue and start going through. Uh-huh. Oh, yep. It's fascinating. Sean, if you do Tarkovsky <laughs> relatively fast, he only has like six or seven movies. Mm-hmm. I still need to watch his last two, so mm. we could do a segment together. All right. If you don't take too long, I guess. Yeah, we'll see. definitely. Okay, so. Um, so that was Sean talking about his Western movies. We're going to jump into our featured reviews for um, for the month of November. So, like I said, it's a big month. Um, a lot of stuff happening. So, Brandon, you're going to start us off with your, your movie of the month. Yep. So my it's – it's a big month. But my pick for the month, um, I have to give it to possibly Jojo Rabbit. Uh, this is Taika Waititi's – fourth film i believe um the imdb synopsis is a young boy in hitler's army finds out his mother is hiding a jewish girl in their home uh spoiler but i i've been a big fan of taiko Watiti since uh what we do in the shadows that was one of my favorite comedies of the decade it was on my top 10 list and he hasn't disappointed since with hunt for the uh wilder people and if you like Thor Ragnarok as well, I know Sean did. Mm-hmm. But his career is just amazing. And he has some of my favorite humor ever. Like, we're so used to comedies being like 
toned down in super like realistic settings or just like, you know, the teen comedy, the frat comedy, the uh, adult rom-com. Mm-hmm. He kind of takes that and puts his characters in these just unbelievable circumstances and storylines and derives his comedy from these like really different types of scripts. Um, what we do in the shadows started it with like making a hilarious comedy out of this uh, really well-made vampire movie. And he continues it just as well, if not better with the laughs per minute that I, he had me going on with Jojo rabbit. Um, making that your setting and the basis and the butt of most of the jokes and World War II's Nazi Germany is just such a unique and special idea. And I was totally on board from it from the get-go. Uh, it really helped that I, even though I went to this movie alone, I had this like, it was in the front row and I had this guy next to me that just had this like perfect, quick, but loud laugh. And it just like got me, you know how you need to like, when you watch sitcoms at home by yourself in bed, you don't really laugh the whole time. You just kind of, you're like, that's funny. And you think it in your head. Um, I just had a blast laughing out loud with everybody in the theater at this film. And I feel like I haven't done that in a long time. Just been able to like crack up. It's a good feeling. So mm-hmm. yeah, number one, you got to give, people don't give props to comedies just for doing that. We always give props to movies for making us cry, but we don't give them as much props for making us uh, have the opposite emotion. And mm-hmm. anybody that can do that is already a genius from the get-go. So top 10 material right there. Nice. And then this movie um, takes that humor and matches it up with a bunch of other pretty sentimental and um, sometimes rough emotions as well, as you would expect from a movie that takes place in World War II. Um, and it worked for me. Uh, it does get sentimental, but these actors and the way the story like takes you is so cute and adorable and horrifying that it really got to me. And it did have me in tears at a couple points. I couldn't help myself. Um, and I really enjoyed that while you kind of see where the movie is going between um, the girl and the boy, once that gets rolling a halfway into the movie, I loved the kind of like twists and turns that it took you along the way that I thought were unexpected. And it does get in a little spoiler territory, but I just want to say that like I really appreciated the way that sentimental moment of the movie like came to a conclusion. And I thought it was just like put a unique spin on uh, the two main character story and the climax. Um, yeah, I loved this movie. It's definitely going to be in my top ten. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I, I completely agree. Uh, this movie just it just worked for me on virtually every level. Uh, there is a there, I watched um, uh, the Peanut Butter Falcon recently in theaters, and I was there was a, a, a someone in the theater with me who, at virtually every moment of the movie, they were audibly um, reacting to the movie exactly how the filmmaker wanted them to, mm-hmm. like. Um, you know, just gasps and laughs and oh, and just every moment. And I came home and I was kind of making fun of that person uh, to Kelly. Um, I, I just thought it was really funny. Um, but this, I, 
the, that was me in this movie. I, <laughs> I, at every moment, I felt exactly how Taika Waititi wanted me to feel. Um, it, yeah, like what you said, it makes you laugh, it makes you cry, it makes you fall in love, it makes you want to cheer and dance, it makes you scream, it makes you, um, yeah, it makes you yeah, it gets want to, too, doesn't it? yeah, it makes you, you want to cover your eyes and, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, and I, I really think the, the, I, I agree. Um, the sentimentality totally worked, I think because of how cute the movie was, you know, and it's almost cute in the way that, um, the world might seem to a child, uh, in, in that world. Um, and the movie had so many beautifully set up and executed payoffs. Um, there were so many, there, there were several points where little, um, bits and pieces that were scattered throughout the movie and, and set up earlier and, um, that just just came together so elegantly and so beautifully and so poignantly um it just yeah it's just it was amazing it was it kind of blew me away at the at the craft of how neatly those were set up and paid off um yeah, that's some really good checkoffs gun set yeah yeah definitely for sure um and it in a way that like i didn't see coming but um, you know, looking back at it, um, after, after the payoff happened, it was just like, how didn't I see that? It was so elegantly set up, um, th- that it, it's almost like I should have seen it coming, but I, I just didn't, I didn't see, um, any of the twists and turns, um, that this movie took me on. Um, so I really appreciated it for that. And, you know, I gotta, I gotta, give props to all the talent in this movie. It looked really good. The color palette was, uh, you know, fun and quirky. Um, the set design was great. The cinematography was, um, was beautiful. Um, and then the performances, like from everyone across the board, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, I don't know where you find these kid actors. Yeah. That are this perfect and this good at delivering, uh, like well-timed humor. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, Scarlett Johansson, um, uh, Rebel Wilson, uh, Sam Rockwell. Um, yeah, and then the child actors and and the uh, the best friend um, Archie Yates, um, who plays Yorkie, who's uh, you know his his best friend, um, and then Taika Waititi as well, who played uh, who played the imaginary friend hit his imaginary friend Hitler. Um, everyone was just top notch in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. I, I loved it. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, uh, I guess I had one question for, for Brandon. Um, where, yeah. where would you like to see Taika Waititi go from here? Um, do you, do you think that this shows that he can take on, more serious projects back to um, Thor or do you think he needs to stick not with not to Thor too <laughs> I mean yeah. it's fine like his Thor movie was fine and better than most but Thor. it it makes me sad that he like we get movies like Hunt for the Wilder People and Jojo Rabbit and now we have to wait like 
four more years to get through Thor 2 to get to mm-hmm. his next masterpiece. Um, so that makes me a little sad. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess he's done these like two children, like great dramedy films that are mm-hmm. both adorable, um, sentimental, and hilarious. So I, I would like to see him step away from that and go to something adult and hilarious uh, and see where, what he can do with some more adult actors. I think that would be a good direction. I mean, I disagree with you about Thor, but yeah. um, Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, yeah. Um, Brandon, good news. You can uh, go back in time and uh, watch uh, one of his first movies, boy, which um, is, is also, I mean, it's, it's probably his most dramatic movie. Um, it's it is it does have some humor in it, but it's um, it's about a father son relationship. So it's um, it's Boy. it's good. It's really 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 good. Boy, it's it's really good. Um, I'm uh, I, I'm glad you guys liked it so much. I'm definitely a lot softer on this than you guys. Um, you know, I, as we left the theater, um, you know, check check the phone. You know, look on Letterboxd, and it's like. You know, I see that my friend Luke gave uh, gave this movie two and a half stars, and I was like, that seems low. And then I saw that Sean gave it five stars, and I was like, that seems high. You know, and I just was like, I am somewhere in the middle there. You know, like it was good. It was good. It was a it was a good movie. Um, but wasn't like blown away by it. I thought that I thought it was pretty funny, and I I hear you, Brandon. Like seeing it in a seeing a movie in a theater where people are laughing really does like. Like, just hearing you talk about it makes me like, oh, maybe that's partly why I loved Spider-Man, the the newest Spider-Man so much. Because, like, the whole theater was laughing. Me and Cal were sitting next to other just, like, laughing hysterically. And, like, that elevated it tremendously. You know, I think this has been a great year for comedy, by the way. Uh, Booksmart. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. inso- uh, the long, Boys. Long Shot, yeah. Long good boys. boys. Good Boys was super funny. But, um yeah, totally. Like seeing it, I thought the I thought the best humor bits um, were when they were uh, undercutting like some of the silliness of Nazis. You know, there's a scene where um, I think it was Stephen Merchant. He and a few other Nazis came to uh, his house, and they all had to hail Hitler each other. Like everyone, one at a time, was like hail Hitler, hail, and like you know, it's it, that's a phrase with a lot of power. Like that's a that's a pretty in, you know intense fa- phrase throughout history, and hearing it though so many times in a row, as if it's like an obligation, as if they're just saying hello or hey yo or what's up, like just hearing hail Hitler, hail it's Hitler. Such an old timey like styled joke too. Yeah. It was so like, funny. I don't know, out of like twenties <laughs> stand up like comedy act. Yeah. It was yeah, it was so funny and yeah, and I I really liked a lot of the really absurd elements of the movie like when they're chasing the clones around like that was really really funny um it just yeah the 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 serious stuff didn't really work as well for me like i didn't think that the movie had a great balance of of tones i felt like when it when it did get like serious and sentimental it veered into cliche like it was like okay i get why this needs to happen because this is what happens in movies and you need to have this happen to progress this part because this is what happens in movies. But, you know, a lot of the other parts of the movie, like the absurdist stuff was super original and creative. And to me, it was like, okay, they're just kind of falling back on 
normalcy with a lot of the with a lot of those with a lot of those parts. So yeah, just yeah, that didn't really work as well for me. I and I also kind of question whether the movie like even really cared that much about Nazi stuff, you know, like the the takedown of Nazis. Like I said, like I liked the 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 um, Hail Hitler joke, and it, but there weren't that many of those, and it felt like they almost didn't really care too much about that. Like the central point of the movie, I think, was um, it was about a child who had this belief system, like he wanted to be a Nazi, and he felt like Nazis were the best. He wanted to be a Nazi, and um, he was going to Nazi camp to train to be a Nazi, and um, he idolized Hitler. And um, but like he also believed that Jews were bat creatures that lived in caves and spit blood and all sorts of crazy absurdist stuff. But like he believed those things, and um, I felt like uh, you know it's about a belief system that is eventually and gradually shattered, and he's forced to question how how he believes and at such a young age i feel like that's like a pretty universal like concept that people can uh, get behind and mm-hmm. um you know i just um i i liked that part a lot of it and um i just i also kind of wonder that if i don't know if they could have had um if they could have maybe hit that a little a little harder if they weren't so sentimental or something. I don't mm. know. Like, for me, a lot of the sentimental parts just couldn't have... They could have told the same story without without having some of the stuff that they had in there. But... What uh, did you end up giving it? Three and a half stars. Okay. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I... I For me, it's just... I don't, I don't know. I guess... Uh, different ways that we saw the movie. Um, I think that all worked really well for me. Um, I loved the, the progressive breakdown of his ideology and I loved how it kind of depicted, um, in very exaggerated comedic ways, but how it kind of depicted and made fun of how they, um, you know, kind of brainwashed and the Hitler youth and, and how, um, they get, they were, indoctrinated into a group like as like as the movie says like a part of a club um and yeah um i I guess all that really worked for me um so um so that was uh taika watiti's new film that was jojo rabbit so that should still be in theaters and i I don't know you guys I'm, i'm really curious if that's going to get oscar buzz you know it's one of these weird movies that it's one of these weird movies that like could be completely ignored by the Academy or is strip could win best picture. Like mm. I, I think that I'm sure is, we'll get a golden globe. Definitely. <laughs> but like for comedy, yeah, if it, if it wins best golden globe for comedy, I think it has like a good chance of going all the way for best picture with, with the Academy. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's kind of a weird year with that kind of stuff, but um, I don't know. I'm pretty curious how it's going to work out. Yeah. So anyway, um, moving on. Um, speaking I, of Oscars, speaking of Oscars, <laughs> this whole episode, speaking of Oscars, hey, uh-huh. I know for real, it's, it's that time of year. That's that type of year. Uh-huh. Um, so I want to bring up, um, the Irishman. So the Irishman is Martin Scorsese's new film. It's a Netflix original movie and it, um, had a very limited run 
in uh, certain theaters, um, not the big chain, not the big chains, like not Regal or AMC. It's uh, it in Seattle. It just played the Cinerama for a one week, and then it's playing at the Crest Theater, which is a much smaller theater. But um, it will be on Netflix for anyone to watch whenever um, on Thanksgiving. So like, oh yeah, on Thanksgiving. Yeah. So when you listen to this episode, you could go and turn on The Irishman right away. Um, this movie yeah. is. This movie stars Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and Joe Pesci, and it's about a mafia hitman who uh, ends up working for Jimmy Hoffa, the union leader, and um, he. It it's about their relationship and um, basically kind of goes over time what what happened with Jimmy Hoffa and uh, his mysterious uh, disappearance. So it, it kind of follows real history, but it also kind of plays with, um, sort of plays with what might or might not have happened. Um, so, real quick, uh, I just want to talk about how Martin Scorsese is just like one of the best. Like it's amazing. His 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 career, like looking back on it, is is frankly like unprecedented. Like he has a masterpiece like arguably a masterpiece in every decade since the 70s so um taxi driver um in the 70s raging bull in the 80s goodfellas in the 90s um i love the departed so i put the departed in the 2000s definitely to the departed and for me um for me the irishman i would say is a late career masterpiece and um, also, like, you know, he, he started out as a basically an indie filmmaker. Like, uh, I just watched um, uh, uh, Who's That Knocking on My Door? Um, it, I, think, I think that's the one. Um, but then, like, Mean Streets, both of the, his first few movies were very just indie, like, do-it-yourself type movies that he just made on the streets of New York about gangsters and stuff. Um uh, he ended up like honing his craft, but even like Raging Bull is a pretty uh, experimental movie. I mean, it tells it's a biopic about a boxer, but it's not told like any other biopic I've ever seen. Uh, Taxi mm-hmm. Driver is like it's like a French. It's inspired by French New Wave. Like it's he's always kind of taking chances with with what he's doing. Um, some people think that that's, that's cool to think about. I it's you don't think of Scorsese as that anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. Since The Departed, at least. But it's like he totally is and always has been. Mm-hmm. I mean, he made Silence like. Right. This yeah, I was. I was gonna bring. Uh, I was gonna bring up Silence yeah. because like Silence isn't like you don't think back on Silence as like oh yeah that's one of Scorsese's best. But really, like it's it's a slow, personal meditation about religion, you know, and then Catholic and Catholicism. And it's, it's Mm. very near and dear to his heart. Like you can tell that he's putting a lot of his own personal beliefs and, um, like his own questions in that movie. Um, it's not like one of his best movies ever, but like he's saying something with that movie. And even uh, like the last temptation of Christ is, is right down that vein. Like that was such a controversial, controversial movie when it came out and it just, yeah, it's a crazy movie. Yeah, I love The Last Temptation of Christ. I try to watch that mm-hmm. every Easter. And, yeah? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, Is that a joke? <laughs> no, I actually, me and Shan try to watch that every Easter. 
<laughs> we don't always get to it because it is a pretty intense movie just to turn on. It's not like Planes, yeah. Trains, and Automobiles, which I watch every Thanksgiving. That one's pretty easy to turn on. It's not as easy to turn on <laughs> The Last Temptation of Christ. But, um, you know, Willem Dafoe is Jesus. Like, I don't know. You can't beat that. You can't beat that shit. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. His late career stuff is, like, just going off of what, what I was just saying about Silence, I feel like The Irishman is, in a lot of ways, very similar to, to Silence. Um, you know, a lot of people just looking at it on paper, it's like, okay, Scorsese's going back to the well. He's making another gangster movie with Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci. This is not Goodfellas. Like, The Irishman is not that gangster movie. Um, in a lot of ways, um, well, Goodfellas glorifies gangsters. I mean, and then they eventually have their ultimate downturn. Like, that's a story structure that happens in a lot of gangster movies where it's about, it shows how much fun they're having and they're partying and they're killing people and they're like, eh, ever since I grew up, I always wanted to be a gangster. You know, it's just fun gangster shit. But um, I think a lot of The Irishman is built like a blue-collar movie. Like, Robert De Niro, he's a hitman and it's just something he does. Like, he's... Yeah, uh, I'm a hitman. It's like when I was in war. I just kill people, and uh, you know, I get paid for it. And that's what I do. And it, it's there's no there's no glory in it. There's no like there's no fancy cars. There's no great suits that they're wearing. It's just like it just he's just the hitman, and he he does that shit. And um, it it tells the story in a in a much slower way. I mean, so. He eventually works, he meets up with Jimmy Hoffa and like, he's just kind of his buddy and they, their relationship grows together. And, um, man, Al Pacino is so good in this movie too, but I'm just saying like, there's, there's much more of a meditation here and less of a, less of a glorification. Like there's, it's less about the actions of these people and more about what their actions do to themselves and the, their relationships to other people and how, how, what's the point of all of it? You know, like what, why are we doing this? And, um, it's just like a really fascinating look at, at the gangster culture, you know, and not culture, but like gangster movies are a pillar of American cinema and Scorsese's, he's always going to be directly connected to it. But with this film, he's taking a, another step and he's going further into like the psychology and the depth of, of human, of what it means to be human and what this sort of lifestyle really does to people. And, um, it's a Almost long a complete movie. 180 from Wolf of wall street. Oh my God. You're saying, yeah, and that's honestly that's partly why glorification to like the meditation. Yeah, I mean, I I really didn't like the Wolf of Wall Street, and um, I mean, I've got my own personal reasons for it, but like part of that's why that's why I didn't like it. I was like, okay, there. That to me was more Scorsese going back to the well, um, and this was like him making a statement as as a seventy year old man and looking back on his life and his career, and um, just American history. So, um, yeah, I loved it. Um, it's a long movie. It's three and a half hours. And I feel so lucky that I was able to see it in, in the cinema. Like I saw it at Cinerama, which is one of the best theaters in Seattle. I mean, it's the best theater in Seattle, but 
I feel like it's one of the be- I, haven't, I haven't haven't traveled the world, but I feel like it's one of the best theaters in the world. Like the the yeah, the visual, yeah, the visual quality is unprecedented. The sound is amazing. The seats are super comfortable. Like it just feels like you're going to the cinema. And this movie felt like pure cinema, like magic. Um, mm-hmm. I think that it'll work at home, though. Honestly, I feel like if you're gonna, you're going to watch this at home, I I feel like it might be just as accessible at home. I mean, it's length. You can pause it as as you turn your phone off. Yeah. I mean, as long as, as long as you're paying attention to the movie, I think it is a movie that you could watch in parts, you know, put it on pause and come back to it as long as you're like really focused on because the movie does deserve that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I loved this movie. Um, I was completely floored by it and, um, yeah, I just, man, Scorsese is just, just the best. He's just so good. So, um, yeah, uh, what do you guys think? Uh, there's one aspect of this film that I thought was really interesting, and every time it happened, it like kind of gave me chills. Um, and it's totally like seemed like a final edit type of change, but it was the the text that appeared on screen every time a new character was introduced, and it just briefly stated how they died and the year that they're, of their death. And it just kind of went from like criminal to criminal and almost all of them, you know, were dead within the next decade of you seeing them in this film. And I thought that was really, really powerful to see. And yeah, it honestly like kind of gave me chills over and over again every time I saw it. It just like hit hard and felt so real um, that these the stakes that these characters are in um, is probably going to end all of their lives very soon. Um, and that I think that played into the like conclusion of the movie and the theme of the movie of, of death and what our lives are for and why and what we do when we're here. And I thought that was a really good way to like set that throughout the movie with introducing every character. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> I agree. Um, it was also kind of a funny bit too when they would do that. Like it was kind of like because it was unexpected. Like you'd <laughs> like it'd be just a guy talking, and then they'd be like, "Oh, he got shot four times in the face in his front yard." And yeah, it's they're like, all gruesome mm-hmm. and rough. And oh, yeah. well, I'm that's assuming what happens it was to real, that guy. Like it was from actual history, but who knows? Yeah. Is there like a lot of them? There's yeah. probably there's probably yeah. ten. Oh, I mean, okay. the thing the thing that it is pretty interesting with this movie because it's based on a book called uh, "You I Hear You Paint Houses," which is like mafia code for I "Hear You Kill People," and um, such a good title. Oh my gosh! Damn it! I know. I wish they kept it. <laughs> I, I wish that was the name of this movie. Yeah, it's, it's a really <laughs> good title. But um, <laughs> um, so apparently, uh, you know, this real life guy that Robert De Niro plays, Frank. He, um, he like confessed that he is the guy who killed Jimmy Hoffa and Jimmy Hoffa went missing. Um, this is like true American stuff. He, he went missing and people assume that something happened with the mafia, but there's all sorts of legends of how it could have happened or what happened or, you know, I mean, anything could have happened. They never found his body. No one knows at all what happened. And Jimmy Hoffa was like a superstar back back in the 60s and 70s. So uh, it was a huge deal. He just went missing. But um, apparently this guy, Frank, confessed, and that's what the book is about. But also, like, some people don't really believe that that's truly what happened. Like, um, that 
like he could have been put up to confessing or some other different people might have been involved. Like it is like this movie is based on this book, but it's not necessarily hundred percent fact. But I think you're right. Like I think all those people that they were mentioning were real people in history and mm-hmm. probably what really happened to them. I'm curious how um how did the de aging effects work for you guys? So I haven't heard anyone mention this in any of the reviews or anything, so I'm guessing it's not super noticeable, but uh, for me it's really noticeable in the trailers at least. I'm just curious if they cleaned it up a bit or what do you guys uh, think? They, it was okay. I thought um, it was fine. It was definitely noticeable and um, obvious, uh, but I did forget about it fairly quickly. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I just kind of looked past it. I guess maybe just because the movies, um, you know, how good the movie is, uh, mm-hmm. that didn't play a big role in my enjoyment, but, um, yeah. The only thing that took me yeah. out of the movie was, was his blue eyes. Like for whatever reason they gave Robert De Niro blue eyes and they were really blue and he doesn't have blue eyes in real life. At least I don't think he does, but that was the only mm-hmm. part that was like, Oh, like that doesn't look real. But everything else for me, like, yeah. didn't take me out of the movie at all. Like, I didn't, huh. I didn't mind the de-aging. Like, I, I was kind of confused on how young he was supposed to be. Like, they kept calling him like kid and newbie, and I was like, is he supposed to be in his twenties? And I mean, he, even with the de-aging, he still looked like in his upper forties. Mm. Right. I do. So it was think, a little, a little confusing. Yeah, I think maybe part of that was in Robert De Niro's posturing and his movement because like his face looked pretty young but he's still you know he's an old guy and so he he kind of postures and moves around like an old guy so i wonder if that was kind of the the weird part that that didn't really um work i was watching uh scorsese on uh one of those late night shows it was like jimmy kimmel or something and he told this story about Al Pacino and there's a scene in the movie where Al Pacino is supposed to he's watching TV and they're electing uh, JFK he's like winning the election and he gets up and he storms off he's supposed to be pissed off he's like oh, I didn't want to he storms off and uh, like his acting is great and he walks across the room and Scorsese's like brilliant and the cinematographer apparently came over and was like uh, he's he's supposed to be 40 <laughs> and Scor- Scorsese or er, Pacino's like 75 when he like film like he's 75 and they're like like apparently he just looked like a 75 year old and so like Scorsese was like oh no okay someone someone's got to tell him that he needs to act like he's 40 <laughs> and they like <laughs> they like told him and he was like oh yeah okay you're right ah. and then he like they did it again and he Again, he didn't look 40, but he was like, okay, that was 60. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, meet halfway. That's 60. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he, that must be weird. That must be weird for an actor who's that old mm-hmm. to not even in their, like, just in their body. Like, <laughs> you have to, like, really go against what your body is doing. Uh-huh. Where they fight those aches and pains. Like a grumpy old guy. It's just like, what are these kids playing a 40-year-old? I'm 75. Come on. What are you talking about? Um, Yeah, yeah, I got to echo everything you guys said. Um, I I love this movie. Um, Yeah, Nick, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. Like, 
everything you said. That was a really great um, kind of persuasive statement about uh, about this movie. Um, one thing I want to really want to point out is how extremely entertaining this movie was or that I found this movie to yeah. be. Um, I was completely riveted to its characters and, and to the relationships in the movie. And um, I just, I was, I, it didn't feel like a three and a half hour movie. It, it moved, it had really good pacing. Um, the scenes, every scene was interesting enough to really keep hold you in in your seat and um yeah and, and it's just like it it shows how incredible of a filmmaker martin scorsese is to be able to make a three and a half hour movie that is almost exclusively dialogue driven um that entertaining about you know old guys talking about stuff um, it was just, just really impressive. Yeah, um, it was one of those things. I I had I had to go to the bathroom. Like I'm sorry, but like I I go to the bathroom during the movies. Like I if I drink any liquid three hours before a movie, then I'm probably gonna have to go during any movie. And so I mean, this movie's three and a half hours long. I had to go pee. And you're right, Sean. Like the movie moves, and there's something mm-hmm. that's always happening in it. Even if it's a character sitting by himself thinking. <laughs> it's it's yeah. riveting and you don't want to miss it. And so uh, like, yeah, I, like just him choosing the gun. Yeah. That scene. It's just oh him and his, his inner monologue. And it's just, it's yeah, so fun. good. It's so entertaining. The movie can get like really fun at times like that when yeah. uh, he's like narrating and the, mm-hmm. the guy with the like big ears in Florida. Oh yeah. And I, I loved how <laughs> so Martin says big, he can do these like quick, like these really quick two second B roll scenes that like flashes on the screen to like go over a moment. And at the same time, the next scene can be this like long 20 minute, like intense buildup of just dialogue that these characters are going through. Like that great scene at the party, um, maybe in the last third of the movie, um, when there's just going from person to person, um, trying to figure out, uh, I guess spoilers, but at the, at the big celebration, it's mm-hmm. kind of like the final negotiations that they're going through to yeah. try and save his life. And like the restaurant scene, um, the buildup to that and the, 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 um, the execution of that scene, the, where the assassination scene in the, in the restaurant, mm-hmm. um, yep. that is, you know, single take, uh, just, you know, it's, it's Martin Scorsese. He's the, the best director, one of the best directors of all time. And, and, there's so many instances in this movie where that shows. He does blood and violence so well in this film. And it's actually really not that often used in the three and a half hours. Like there's not too much like on-screen killing. Maybe I'm wrong. But yeah, when no. it does happen, it's just like super brutal. And the blood effects are like in your face and it just makes you like cringe and jump and then he moves on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. he's, he's just so good at that. It just happens and it just happens yeah. and then it's over. Um, yeah. And I loved, I loved how the movie, um, I loved how the movie puts you in the context of history. Like there's, you're kind of, so I didn't really know, um, anything about Jimmy Hoffa. Um, I didn't know anything about any of these characters from this movie uh, or, or what ended up happening. Um, but I really appreciated how it, it puts you in the context of the time, like, you know, from 
um, you know, talking about Bobby Kennedy and uh, like bringing him into this narrative and then the Bay of Pigs uh, stuff that, that this movie talked about. And then, um, and then the JFK assassination. And um, I, I loved how it played. It really gave this movie a time and a place. Um, and yeah, that's, that's another thing that Martin Scorsese is really good at, at doing is making a movie have a time and a place. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we could talk about this movie. Like, it's one of those movies where there's so many layers. Like, you walk out of the theater and you're like, yeah. "Where do you even begin with it?" Like, there's just so much content, so many things to unpack. But uh, yeah. we need to move on. So um, that totally agree, Sean. Um, oh yeah. So that that's the Irishman. It's on Netflix, and um, uh, I I highly recommend it for everybody. Um, so Derek, you're going to talk about uh, our final movie of the of the day. Yes, uh, the movie I picked was uh, Bong Joon Ho's Parasite, the uh, winner of the Cannes Palme d'Or uh, award this year. Which is kind of like the big the big movie thing, you know, the big big award um, outside the of the Oscars. One. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably give it more weight than like Best Picture and stuff, right? Well, the academy, kind of... the academy is so political. Oh, yeah. It's like yeah. the, it, most people, I would most movie people, I would say, don't agree that the best picture really is the best picture. Like Green right. Green Book won last year, and I think it was like yeah, the okay, winner of Can is likely going to be better than the winner of the Oscars. Yeah. You're right. It's Each like year. the big international holy crap movie. You're right. Well, this movie's really cool because I think we've all been fans of Bong Joon Ho for a long time. And I've never pictured him being like in that as much as I love his movies, they're kind of they feel more blockbustery to me. And so it's really cool that this that he was able to find like a way to make a Bong Joon Ho movie that would also like land him that award. It's just really genre cool films. Right. Yeah. But he's very much like, I don't know, for me, he's like traveling in that like Nolan path where he's making movies that are very specific to him and like what he likes to do, but they're also just like so accessible. And so like, uh, they're usually just big. They feel big, at least to me, I don't know, Snowpiercer and Okja and the host, they all feel like big blockbuster movies, even though they're not really blockbusters, I guess in the traditional sense. But, um, this movie I think fits right in his, canon of movies that he's made too and I actually think this is probably his easiest to just sit down and watch because just like all those it's just god this guy knows how to make a fun entertaining movie from the first second of every film he makes and what I really love about this one and all his movies is his he's really got something to say about uh, the desperation and like the um like the the gap between the lower class and the higher class people. All of his movies in some way incorporate that theme. And um, I think he just, he really has something deep down that he, he just really wants to bring that disparity to light more, or at least just explore that concept a lot in his movies. And so this movie definitely God, does that. I don't that. know why I haven't thought of that, but 
to the extreme right. all his last three movies have. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> Snowpiercer's like as extreme as you can possibly get with it. Yeah. And um, and yeah, every movie does mostly taps into that. Uh, but also his ability to like with it I it's been a long time since I've seen the host, so I can't I it's hard for me to I couldn't like lay out the plot. But um, as far as his other three go that I've seen more recently, Snowpiercer, Okja, and Parasite, he's really good at easing you into this world that he's created and like kind of guiding you through it so quickly and so effortlessly. And he, you know, he like paints it out for you. And just like with a lot of movies, when you're watching him, usually you kind of are catching on to like the themes and everything and where they're going. And he's so good at just like making sure you get to that point and then like doing uh, a twist, I think is what they call it, right? In writing, you do a twist. But but it's like his are just so, they're usually like a gut-wrenching like uh, direction that you wouldn't have ever expected it to go. And it's just, um, he's just so good at that. And, like, all three of those movies all, like, maybe not as much Snowpiercer, but especially Okja and this movie, both, like, they just have such good, like, I don't know, his balance of that, of jumping between those is just so well done. And his ability to, like, jump between almost, like, genres, like, his, his, like, um, his, uh tones yeah like you can it, in parasite he you know you're following this family that's really down on their luck and they don't have a lot of money and stuff but he, he's able to find the humor in that in such weird ways that are like so accessible and just so uh so fun i don't know he's just he's so good at bouncing between like uh david fincher type of movie you know like a dark moody thriller and straight into comedy at any given moment at the same time um you were you were saying the word twist i think i think a, a way i see it as he like this and Oakjaw, both these last two films yeah. he has like three different films inside right. one film and when it moves between it's like less of a twist and more just like this is now what you're going to be watching for the right. next 45 minutes i do yeah, think that sure. I do think and it's just a whole is... new thing I do think there is a twist in this movie, which we can talk about in spoilers, but right. um, like, yeah, like he, he, it's almost like effortless how he'll just go from, from funny to dramatic to horrifying back to funny. Like, it's like, yeah. he, he's so, it's just effortless. Yeah, You don't realize until they're making jokes that 10 seconds ago, your heart was like beating out of your chest. It was so intense. Right. You know, then it's like immediately back into like humor and you're like, oh, good God. And it's like it doesn't feel it's not a jarring experience at all. It's like it feels natural. Somehow he he's just mastered that jumping that bridge between the two. But um, yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, yeah. I loved this movie so much. I, it just felt like it felt like a classic. I don't know. I just got done watching it was like man that was just that just hit on like every level for me and um yeah i mean the 
I, again, I'm sorry. I don't even know where to begin with this movie. Like, I mean, you've already been talking about, it, but like, I just wanted to echo what you said about the um, the the gap that they had between. Like, I think I think this movie was so much about um, the the wage gap between the rich and the poor. You know, it's about this family who basically they infiltrate this rich family. Each one of them pretends that they're someone else, and they they get a job in the house as the driver or the clean lady or the tutor and they they just they infiltrate them but one thing that i thought was pretty interesting was that they didn't really condemn either side or i guess they mm-hmm. they kind of condemned but they all like neither side was purely good or purely bad you know it wasn't like oh these are the heroes for for infiltrating them and you know you like these people because they're they're likable people and they're they're very human so you sympathize with them and they're desperate but, and you, know, you sympathize with them but they also um, they're also just like kind of it's called parasite for a reason they're just kind of leeching off kind of nasty uh, yeah they're yeah. just kind of leeching off this family but then the family you know like a lot of people, you'll hear, like, Kill the Rich. You know, that's, like, a thing with a mm. lot of movies this year. And uh, I would say this movie isn't really, like, yeah, fuck those rich people type thing. Like, I would say this movie, if anything, like, it kind of shows that they're human, too. And they have their own things going on. They have their own struggles. They have their own, like, lives that they're getting through. And um, I, I just, I feel like the movie kind of lets you like both of them and also dislike both of them. And, um, it just, it just plays that balance really, really well. There are a few scenes that really like that strike, strike me with that. Like, uh, there's a running theme where, um, the father in the park family, the family that infiltrates them, he, he has a smell about him and he's mm-hmm. They, they cover their nose sometimes. And th- the the rich family they sometimes they do it on purpose like they keep them in they keep them in their place like uh, you know the, that's the help you know like they they keep them over there but other times they're welcoming and they're friendly but then they do things like cover their nose without even like realizing it there's this very striking scene where they're he uh, the father's driving you know he's the dri- he's the driver he's driving them and uh, the the mom in the back seat has her feet up on the chair in front of her and her shoes are off and it's, it's kind of a rude thing to do you know you got your feet your bare feet in someone else's face and then mm. and then she notices the smell that park has and she covers her nose it's just like you know the dynamics right there and uh, right. gosh it's just such a good movie it's such a <laughs> so good detailed. movie yeah. yeah it's so good ah yeah, I think uh, a big thing about this, about his directing and with all his movies is they they just move forward so well and so entertainingly. Like the pace of this movie is absolutely flawless from beginning to end as you're slowly realizing what is unfolding, what it's even about. I um, just wanted to do like, I, I went into this movie super blind and I think it paid off extremely well. Like this, I had movie no, particularly. I had no idea what this movie was about. Like when I yeah, sat down yeah, to see same. this theater, I hadn't seen the tra- I hadn't seen a trailer. Sat down and like I was with a couple friends, and we were like, all three of us had were completely blind, and we were like, yeah. this could be a horror movie. This could be like a sad, like crying all night movie. This could be literally anything, and like 
Yeah, like it kind of yeah, was. Like, 100%. Uh, there was... I watched the trailer after, and yeah, fuck that trailer. Like, <laughs> please do not watch it if you haven't seen this movie yet. Um, it, it gives away the, the main change that happens partway through this film. Okay, yeah, because... Um, it's really unfortunate. Because, like, for a little bit in the movie, I was like, okay, I can see where this is going. Like, it's going to have this, like, sitcom sort of, like, payoff. Okay. And then, oh, it doesn't go there. Like, it doesn't. It goes mm-hmm. in another direction. Which we can talk about in spoilers, because we're going to do a spoiler section for this movie. What, so What's crazy about that, though, too, is, like, that... the or the you know the big first chunk of like the first third to the first half of the movie like that concept that they lay out and like set up has like a lot of stakes and like you can see the whole movie like you could there is a full interesting movie without all the other stuff right there already right 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 (laughs) but then he just doubles down and like oh we're going this way yeah Yeah. a normal movie would have made that the full two hours right but he doesn't need to should we go into spoilers? I mean, we're like awfully close right now, so let's. I mean, we should get Sean's initial impression. Sean, do you want your initial um, impression, or do you want to jump yeah, right into spoilers? Yeah, I'll just I'll just real quick say, um, yeah, I guess just echo. Yeah, this movie's a ton of fun. Um, it's it's uh, broken up into three really interesting parts. Um, I really loved the uh, the execution of the con elements of the early film. Um, mm-hmm and like all the setup for that and how they were kind of playing the family. Um, and yeah. Um, so a ton of twists and turns. Um, yeah, it's really unexpected and really good. Okay. So Um, yeah, sorry. So should we go into spoilers? Like, uh, yeah, let's do it. Okay. So at this point on, we're going to be talking about spoilers. So spoiler warning, if you haven't seen parasite, Stop listening to our episode and go see Parasite. So, spoiler warning from here on out. Spoilers, 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 spoilers. Um, so, real quick, I want to talk. Ab- real quick, I want to okay, talk about the house. Okay, so the house that they go into that the the rich family lives in is fucking gorgeous. It's like a beautiful <laughs> piece of architecture. Like it has this yeah. like. It has all these like nooks and crannies in it, these these epic staircases, and then it has like this big wide open living room that looks out. There's just panes of glass, and you look out into this gorgeous yard that's just like a peaceful haven. Like it's a beautiful house, and mm-hmm. the twist that we keep talking about, like they're they're all hanging out in the living room. the The family's on vacation, so the Park family's all hanging out, and then I mean I can't remember exactly what happens, but. A door opens, a closet the nanny door comes home. Oh, the old nanny, the nanny comes the old. Old nanny comes the back. The nanny that got fired comes back, and she opens a hidden door, and there's this secret staircase, and the <laughs> camera follows them down the staircase, and her <laughs> husband, like at that, her husband Straight is up living lost hatch territory. <laughs> oh my god! It was just like Lost in the Hatch. It was just like that. It was like what? 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 Where? This is what this fucking movie is doing. Oh my god! Mind blown. Like blown. Yeah. Holy crap! They take it yeah. like so. God, it's just so brilliant how they do it too. Like they don't just intro. Like it's not a crazy concept. Like it's not. But they make sure you're still weirded out by it. But, like, the first thing you see is, like, she's, like, feeding her husband a bottle of milk, like, like with a nipple on it and everything weird. Like that. <laughs> you're just like, what the fuck is happening down here? Yeah. 
That's that's yeah. He's like malnourished. Like, yeah, yeah. He's not just hanging out talking. Um, well, the, it's been weeks of him of since she'd been fired, and also I don't know if right. you guys know this, but she like she she was acting herself. Like when they had her earlier in the movie, she was like very like uppity and like 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 moving in a very specific sort of nanny way. And then when she came mm-hmm. back to the house, she was a different person. Like she like that that whole act that whole facade was gone, and she was like desperately like moving around and she had like a different voice on and stuff it was like yeah yeah for sure absolutely she was kind of pretending to be like an perfect yeah yeah Mm -hmm. but once she's down in that cellar she's just like desperate pure desperation and like uh yeah oh give me chills just thinking about it that yeah (laughs) i guess i want to bring up just the incredible crescendo um and it's not even the climax of the movie it's like the second to the last peak that happens maybe at like 70 percent away into the film Mm. um of them sneaking out of the house in the rain and their their apartment flooding this is kind of the culmination of the hatch segment of the movie well, and the, all the, those those intercutting like between the different locations and what's going on with the characters and them just like swimming through filth and trying to save what they have like my heart was pounding and I was just like gasping at how well he was just playing uh, how well the director was just like playing with these characters in the scene like it was so brilliantly stitched together. Well, that yeah. was that's like that's really the perfect example of what we've been talking about. How he balances tones, because like the scene first, it's like a dramatic scene, but it's also kind of funny where they're getting drunk in the living room, goofing around, but they're also like kind of talking about serious stuff, how they need to look after each other. And then there's the like scary scene where they open the hatch and they go down, and that's a very thrilling moment. And then it like it again switches where the park family's coming home and they all like scramble fighting the cell phone they're they're fighting they're arguing the, yeah like it's 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 intense it's it's thrilling and it's mm. it's a 45 minute like build up yeah like that that scene i guess like i'm doing air quotes that scene is so long mm-hmm. and it takes so long to climax it's yeah, incredible. that is the second and act it, of the movie. It's yeah. just like them that one long, kind of real time <sighs> from them hanging yeah. out in the living room yeah. all the way through to when they to the leave. Well, in so the then, so then though, it's so then they end up all four <laughs> of them are like hiding under the couch because the 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 boy, mm-hmm. the young child in the film, he wants to sleep outside. It's his birthday. He wants to sleep outside in the in the in, in the tent. And so he goes outside and he's sleeping in the tent and the mom and dad are laying on the couch like watching him, but then they start like having sex. And it's like it's kind <laughs> oh, of funny. I mean, so it's like thrilling, yeah. but it's also yeah. like kind of funny cuz it's like they're saying stuff that you would never hear them say in public. Like they're they're talking dirty. They're like like it's them like with their facades off. Like being like intimate and real, but also like mm-hmm. weird, and it's like it's a funny scene. And then they they all sneak out, they crawl out like cockroaches, and it's like uh-huh. it's, it's again it's like sad, but it's also kind of funny. But then, yeah, it they go back to their apartment, their basement apartment, and the whole thing's flooded. Like there's literally shit everywhere, literally shit. Is flying out, out of the toilet. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's like the guy smashing his forehead, bloody forehead against the button. 
Like it's, I'm trying to flick oh, yeah. the lights to yeah. be seen. And it's it's so heartbreaking. It's so yeah. sad. It's just it's tremendously then, like just miserable. And then the next day, the the wife is talking on the phone, trying to throw a party, and like, oh my gosh. like no care in the world. Like this right. this storm, totally just oblivious. Her Nothing happened. Totally yeah. oblivious yeah. that yeah. anything yeah. happened to anyone lower class than her. You know, like Jeez. no idea that that lower part of the city flooded. Like, God, yeah. ruined people's lives that night. Mm-hmm. And the not rain. just that family. You know, not just that family. <laughs> yeah. Like right. other people it was too. The like whole they're street. And yeah, everyone. But yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. the movie, it just has all these intricacies. Like, Brandon, you were talking about the guy, like, with the buttons in the hallway. Like, that's, that's like, a whole, there's a whole backstory to that. And, like, how quickly he was able to explain, like, why those buttons are there, why the the lights, like, function the way they do, why the rich families never questioned it, and, like... Mm-hmm. And that that guy's like whole warped mind from being trapped down there for so long, and like there's yeah, there, there's, there's so a whole much movie, complexity to that. There's a whole movie about that guy living down there for years. Mm-hmm. Like right. there's a whole movie about him losing his mind, but like being obsessed with pressing the buttons and turning the lights on when they're supposed to turn on. Like that. Mm-hmm. There's a whole movie about about that. And then also. Like the hor- another horror element, like the little boy that was in the tent that we just mentioned, he he had seen a ghost. Like they mentioned it oh, earlier in the movie. Oh my god! Yeah, they had yeah, mentioned it way the earlier. Best payoffs. Oh yeah. my god! That's like one of the best payoffs. Fucking so good. Like they mentioned I that he had seen that. a ghost, and then they give you the flashback after you meet the guy who's living in the basement. He had seen that guy like sneak out during in the middle of the night, and it's fucking scary. Cake. That's it's, so freaking scary. It's so <laughs> scary. <laughs> that's yeah. a nightmare I, I, I loved <laughs> the moment of brutality in the actual climax of um, the, the son going back into the cellar um, oh jeez yeah you know and trying to see, and like thinking the, the uh, maid is, is dead and then he gets hooked around the neck oh, and yeah. that culminating to like his face getting smashed in at yeah. the top of the stairwell oh, with the yeah. rock like yeah, yeah. The what's the deal with that rock <laughs> The rock is the rock that his friend gave him in the beginning. It represented, uh, it represented like uh, success or like something about success and money coming in or like wealth or something. And so then when shit went down for them, where every where shit hit the fan, shit was flying the toilet. I think he he either got obsessed with it and he was kind of like he had like was mentally unstable and was carrying it around because he. because he was like lost and that was just a comforting like symbol to him or you know or maybe the rock did have uh supernatural powers and it was attached to him like the log lady or something but no i think it was i think it is kind of what you're talking because his friend went to america right his friend went to college in the states and gave him that rock at the beginning of the movie and i think this is a thing with bong joon ho too he has a thing with america uh and americans and uh, just a weird relationship with it. I think that definitely had a uh, meaning that rock for sure had a sort of uh, metatextual meaning wasn't about. It, yeah. Wasn't the rock supposed to bring you, bring you good fortune in with money or something? Was that, did he actually like, he say said? that? His friend? Yeah. It was something like that. I, oh, okay. I'm he struggling to remember, but he said something about good luck or good fortune or, yeah. yeah, it's supposed to bring them wealth, I think. Like, it was supposed yeah. to bring them success and wealth. 
Yeah. Yeah. They had a lot of, I just, I remember that American thing. Cause he's had a lot, all of his movies kind of tie into this, that this movie specifically had a bunch of references to like a uh, building quality of like toys and stuff like that. She's like, well, I ordered it from America. So it's, yeah. So it's good. Oh, and, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of his thing you're saying? It, but, yeah, I just read like an interview with him. He has just complex uh, emotions with America. Yeah, the host was certainly the, loves like him. That. Yeah, the yeah host, definitely host the opening like of the host with the American. Yeah. That's based <laughs> on a real incident, I guess. That's what I was reading. Oh, really? About it. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But uh, we need to, as a collective lover of this director, need to go back and watch Mother and Memories of Murder. Yes, I, I watched I Memories totally of Murder. Agree. I've seen Memories of Murder. Oh yeah, yeah. It's on. It's on Amazon Prime. I watched it like oh, fairly it recently, like two months oh, ago. Sweet. Yeah, I think I watched it. I've just heard such good it. things about both. Those. No, it's good. It's it's more. Um, it's probably his most straightforward movie, but that I've seen. Um, but it's it's very much like a like gritty crime movie, and like. You know, it's about the process, like similar to kind of like Zodiac, I guess, like not not okay. in that like, you know, not in that you don't know who, it, but just like the way they give you ample time and watch you put the case together piece by piece by piece and obsessively try to figure out who's who's doing it. Um, it's nice. a good movie. He's totally got a David Fincher vibe to his movies. I feel like there's some just got to be some inspiration there. Yeah. Well, then Mother. It's his like most, even, yep. nearly his most critically acclaimed film. Mm. So we're all on the hook to see Mother very soon. More guys. critically acclaimed sure. than, Parasite. than Parasite? Um, well, I think. No, no, no. no. So on, on, <laughs> not on Letterboxd. So on Letterboxd, <laughs> Parasite just became, and we all know this, but Parasite just became the highest rated movie of all time. So it just it's passed still, the Godfather as oh, the number one. Crazy. <laughs> it's I think still in latest news on the I'm, front page. Yeah. It's been I mean, and that that is it's, a thing about about just the time. Like modern it, movies yeah. are going to be rated higher and have more people look at them. Well, and the so. thing too is that like so many more people have seen the Godfather and rated it. So you're going to have right. more people like you know putting like ah oh, that movie's overrated you know type thing. I'm going to give it mm-hmm. three stars. But like if if as many people had seen Parasite as The Godfather, it probably wouldn't be the highest rated movie of all time. But yeah. it is saying something that it is that right now. Like, that's how much mm-hmm. people, at least on Letterboxd, are loving this movie. It seems pretty universally... I mean, yeah, Metacru- uh, the meta score is 96%. Um, 8.6% on on uh, IMDb. It's, it streaming seems on pretty, Netflix. I think it, it's... What? It's streaming on Netflix? Oh, Mother. Sorry. Oh. oh. <laughs> Is it really? Mother's on Netflix? Unless it's oh grabbing God. the other Mother film with an yeah. exclamation mark oh. data. Oh, wow. Well, that's awesome. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, it it's, it's freaking great. Um... This guy is like very quickly becoming one of my favorite directors working today for sure. Like, I saw Okja after this one, Palm Dior. And I was like, oh shit, like, I, right, this guy's for real. I gotta go back and watch Okja, which I'd been wanting to watch for a long time. And I don't know if you guys have looked on my profile and letterbox, it's in my top four, like, movies. Oh. Um, I that movie just fucking was a game changer for me. I don't know what it is about that movie. I can't wait to watch it again, but 
Um, and this movie feels like it's like right up there too. This is way easier for anyone to just go watch. I think Oak just yeah. really out there and weird, but um, you know, I this think this is that's, his moment too. Yeah, like, this is like his breakout. This is like the big yeah. Like well, what he does a, after this will be ev- kind of everything. This one's much. Will be watching finally. This one's yeah. less of a genre movie, you know. Like the other, I yeah. feel like almost all of his other movies are, that I've seen at least are are pure genre movies. And I really? feel like this one is like this is a drama, you know. This is yeah. just like a straight drama, and um, I do kind of wonder if it's like picking up as much steam like in the box office. Like I don't know. I don't know if people like really know about this movie as much, you know, like other than like, you know, movie, movie people like I, I don't know. Like, I don't know how it's going to do with the Academy Awards because I don't know if oh, it'll win best foreign film. Ooh, it's made awesome. Awesome. But like, this will it be will film. it be nominated for best picture? You know, I think so. Right. But like, I don't know if it's yeah. I just don't know if it's like picked up. I, mean, I don't steam. know either. It's almost hit a hundred million dollars over here. Really? What? Yeah. Well, In the box seriously. Office. That's wow, I cool. didn't know that. I did not know that. That's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it just seemed like last year with Roma. Like, or that was just what Google said. Yeah, no, it's it's hundred worldwide. It's a hundred and forty. Oh, it's a hundred million, million worldwide. worldwide. You're right. Okay, it's made sixteen million domestic. Yeah, I really hope though that with the Academy Awards it gets a wider release and. I mean, it's a fairly wide release. I guess it was in AMC's and everything, but that's true. It might get one of those like February yeah. mini releases as well. Yeah, or even just like leading up, if it if it gets some buzz for the Academy Awards, it might. Like a lot of movies do that. They they release early, and then there's like buzz throughout December and January, uh, kind of leading up to the Academy Awards, and um, like it comes um, out again, like. Uh, uh, not Lady in the Water, The um, Shape of Water, oh. <clears throat> like that kind of movie had a very slow build up to its right. success. So mm. I would I would love to see something like that for Parasite. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, so go I see am, it. I mean, the thing about the Academy Awards too is that it's like so much of it is about the campaign, and like last year with Roma, mm. like Netflix was all about that campaign, but I don't know if. I don't know if whatever studio has Parasite is like wanting is wanting that as much, you know. But mm-hmm. that's kind of funny. I just went on a date with this guy who did the marketing for Parasite uh, yesterday. Um, huh. What you know? What yeah. did he say? Did he say <laughs> it's gonna? It's the most like uh, he said is the best movie he's ever worked with, hmm. um, and he's seen it like three times now. But I didn't talk to him about the Oscars. I should have, because this will be totally his department. Yeah. I saw an you interview. You got to go on a second date with him, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> to get the, Can we get him on the podcast? Get the goods. <laughs> <laughs> I saw an Let's interview see. with Bong Joon-ho uh, about him and uh, the lead actor in this movie. I don't have his name handy, but he's in all of his movies. Um, they're both a part of the Academy, and uh, they're like, can we vote for ourselves? They're like, yeah, I think you can. They're like, oh, yeah. They're all excited about <laughs> best Derek, picture. Derek, speaking of which, let's take this back to the beginning. I forgot. I I totally forgot to add a western, um, which is the good, the bad, and the weird, starring uh, that that uh, father actor in this movie, Kang Ho Song. Song. 
Song oh. Kung Ho. <laughs> I was gonna say like Song we need Kung it. Ho. We need to go back a couple sentences and say his name if we're not. Yeah. Like yeah. Kung Song. Kung, He's Song the main character. Kung Ho. He's Song amazing Kung too. Ho. He's in every one of this guy's movies. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. was he in Okja? He might not have been in Okja, but he's really really great. Yeah, he's in Memories of Murder, too. Yeah. Okay, so I think that kind of wraps it up, though, guys. We've been talking for a bit here, so I think we should wrap it up. Um, As much as, again, Parasite's none of those movies where I feel like we could do a whole episode about Parasite. Um, And it would have been fun. But, um, yeah, yeah, we should should wrap it up, though. And um, real quick, let's go around in a circle and say um, what, you know, what we're excited about for next month. Um, Derek, what do you got going on? Um, I'm really excited about Knives Out, which, uh, it's kind of falls in a weird spot on the holidays here. So, um, I got to see it this weekend, but it didn't come out till tonight, I think, when we're recording this right now, technically. So, um, I'm, I'm sure we'll end up talking about it next month. Oh, but, you've um, seen it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's, uh, I'm excited for but you guys to see it. waited for us to talk. to talk about it. Love it. Oh, uh, Derek. <laughs> And Aww. but December movie I'm excited about is Little Women. I saw the trailer for it during Knives Out, and the movie just it looks like a blast. It looks um, we all saw Greta Ger. You know, it's directed by Greta Gerwig. We all saw her last movie, Lady Bird. We all loved it, and uh, this looks like it's it's getting a lot of buzz and it's kind of following that same trend. Looks really great. Excited about that. Um, Sean, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I'm. Really excited for 1917, Sam Mendes' next movie. It's a World War One um, kind of epic. Uh, looks really good. Yeah, that movie's yeah. supposed to be just one, one shot. shot. One take. I just read that yeah. today. Yeah. Um, with CGI, not fully one take like Victoria, right. but... Um, oh yeah, two movies I'm looking forward to is Noah Bombach's Marriage Story, which is legit supposed to be like one of the best films of the year and his best film he's ever made. Hmm. Um, I'm a huge fan of that director. I'm so excited. It's getting crazy reviews. It's in the another, AV Club's high in the AV Club's top hundred of the decade. That's another Netflix movie. Um, so that'll be on Netflix yeah. like early uh, early December next week. Um, Uncut Gems is also supposed to be absolute best of the year material. Um, it was on AV Club's top 100 of the decade. Uh, this is by the director who did Good Times a few years ago, which is an outstanding, gritty, dark New York movie. And this is um, this is Adam Sandler's kind of comeback drama that's supposed to be brilliant. So I'm so excited. Every like, every, like, eight to ten years, Adam Sandler does a drama, and it's always amazing. Mm-hmm. But, like... They're few and far between, but each one of them is yeah. like, oh, man, this is just great. Why don't you do this all the time? And then he goes <laughs> back to the farty movies. Um, yeah, I second all those. I'm really excited about all of those. Um, I'm really looking forward to Honey Boy as well. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's the movie about Shia LaBeouf's uh, childhood, and he plays his own father. And um, I don't know, you know, Shia LaBeouf's legit. So um, I'm really excited about that. And also Terrence Malick's new movie. Um, I don't Ooh. know if that's coming out mm. in December or January. I, I feel like it might be one of those that might be in New York and L.A. in December and then the rest of the country in January. But it's called A Hidden Life. And based on what I've heard and what the trailers look like, it looks like it's Terrence Malick like, back 
to form. You know, like his last mm-hmm. few movies a- have been hit or miss. Um, you know, I liked Song to Song. Um, I thought that was a pretty sexy movie, but um, like Night of Cups, I thought was pretty bad. So, um, but yeah, I think I think this one. A Hidden Life looks really, really good. Yeah. This is a, another World War II movie. Nazi... Right, right. Uh, it is. Yeah. Um, I, I need to say this, guys, because it's brilliant, um, but I just saw this film last night that I won't get a chance to talk about because it's so small. A Long Day's Journey into the Night. I guarantee next month this will be on all the lists. This movie was beyond brilliant. It's a Chinese foreign film, um, the last 58 minutes of it is one take. It's very long, two and a half hours, but it is one of the most jaw-droppingly gorgeous films I have seen in years. Hmm. And you guys need to all add it to your list and see it immediately. What's it called? It's called Long Day's Journey Into the Night. And I think in the next few weeks when the lists are coming out, we're going to hear a lot about this movie. Okay. Cool. A Sweet. long day's journey into the night. You pulled a Sean. I mean, I guess it's not Sean since he only did it once, but um, you snuck a review in there. You got me. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's a long day's journey into the night. And uh, that was the monthly movie dispatch. So um, thank you for listening. And, uh, you know, go watch some movies. It's that time of year. Go do that shit. Get on the AMC Stubbs yeah. A list or go down to your local indie theater. Let's go. Hell yeah. Go get it. Um, See you next month. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.